Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. The Philacrosophy Podcast is brought to you by Oxia Time, a cool watch company focused on university-branded watches. John Canaris is the founder of Oxia Time, and he was the goalie at Penn in the late 80s who led his team to the Final Four. John is actually best known for being the goalie that Gary Gate dunked on in the Air Gate. Oxia Time makes beautiful, Swiss-made, authentic watches whose design and quality match the essence of the universities they represent. I can attest to the quality of these watches. John hooked me up with a sweet Brown University Oxia watch, and I think it's the nicest thing I own. Initially licensed with eight Ivy League schools, Oxia keeps adding new schools each month. One of the coolest things Oxia offers is custom timepieces to commemorate championships or to celebrate storied teams. Check out the UVA Lacrosse Championship watch. It's sick. Princeton did a really nice one last year as well. Oxia even did an LSU football championship watch this year. For any teams interested in creating a custom watch this season, Oxia will upgrade it at no extra cost to a championship watch if your team wins a conference or national championship next year. For players, parents, and coaches interested in custom team watches, check them out at oxiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A time.com. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the Philacrosophy Podcast. Really excited to welcome VMI head coach James Papura on the show. James, great to have you on, man. How are you doing? Doing awesome, Jamie. Uh, big fan. Excited to, to hop on this call and, and talk lacrosse. Yeah, man. It was uh, great to catch up with you while I was up in Lake Placid in between tournaments, and we got a chance to chat on the phone, and hopefully we didn't uh, use all our good content on that phone call. Maybe we should have recorded that call. Probably, but uh, always down to talk again for sure. Heck yeah. All right, James, as I like to do with most um, of the guests who come on, at least for the first time, um, would like to learn more about your lacrosse journey as a player and a coach. Yeah, so I was actually, Jamie, uh, growing up in Rochester, New York. I'm an upstate guy, so you know, Lake Placid is a little bit far from me, but um, section fiver, like some of the other guys that coaching in the ranks and I was a failed hockey experiment. So I was a, a, a hockey goalie and uh, one of my best friends growing up, Jeff Milano Johnson was the best lacrosse player in Pittsburgh at the time. And um, as my best friend basically forced me to, to play lacrosse and uh, got into it. And fortunately playing lacrosse in, in uh, upstate New York is a lot more advantageous than playing hockey where I wasn't a six foot two goalie from Canada. So I had a lot better opportunity to get recruited and, Met some great people along the way, graduated from Pittsburgh. I got to play for Andy Whipple, um, great coach, great mentor, and still a great friend that uh, still keep in contact with and actually played with Sudo. Uh, he was my club coach with the Blaze, so it's cool to see him now with the Chrome. Yep. My uh, last two high school goals were against Blaze Reardon in, in our sectional championship before uh, Blaze ended up knocking us out and ended my high school career, so after that, you know, I had some options. I was one of those classic D1 tweener, D3 guys uh, in the higher end. And I uh, ended up starting my career as a left-handed attackman. So you're no stranger to that as well. And yep. 
St. Mary's um, wasn't the best fit for me personally. Ended up transferring to, to SUNY Geneseo, where we were a top, you know, 20 D3 program, played for Jimmy Lyons there. And uh, for some reason, couldn't escape the West Jenny guys. So I got to play for Tommy Gravani and, and then Jimmy Lyons. And um, I actually got injured, so I didn't get to finish my whole career at Geneseo, which really shifted me into the coaching capacity. And uh, from that path, I've, I've had great stops at a lot of different places. I started my career as a D3 assistant at SUNY Brockport, um, back up in upstate New York. I uh, left there, went to Frostburg State. Uh, we had a really good experience working uh, with Tommy Pierce as, as a GA there. Went to Queens, got to work for Coach Fritz. Uh, had a great time down in Charlotte. And, and after that, that got me you know, opportunity to come into VMI as an assistant coach and, and work for John Bersner for uh, two and a half years. And ultimately, I got my first head coaching opportunity at Arcadia up in Philly. It's a D3 school. And uh, we had some success there early on, which allowed the opportunity for me to come back at VMI as its head coach. So um, a lot of great people along the way I've been off to meet and uh, learn from. And uh, lacrosse is a, a community unlike any other with just the, the fraternity of people and small world. And it's a lot of fun to be a part of. Yeah. Awesome. What a great journey. And here you are as a head coach. We'll talk about VMI in a minute, but I wanted to go back and ask you about some of the mentors you had along the way, starting with Coach Whipple. Whip, whip's the man um you know we got him we were lucky he was super young when when uh, he was only a couple of years coaching high school and out of maryland and um i remember my dad actually met him for the first time at like a parents coach get together and he asked him uh you know are you a player on the team and i was so embarrassed as like a seventh or eighth grader but whip still got that baby face and uh <laughs> he's uh, such a passionate guy and, and again I, I i love playing for him and it was what better way to have an you know all American ACC rookie of the year as your high school coach teaching you how to play offense and was very fortunate. He was just a surgical attackman. What what did you sort of learn from him as far as what you would teach now to your attackman? Yeah, I think Whip is uh, he was one of those guys that every now and then because he was still playing with the Rattlers at the time he would just throw his gear on sometimes and hop in and drill and he was almost a better teacher when he would do that and you'd see him do something or explain it and then go out and we're just like oh my god this guy's amazing so um you know I think little things you know dodging with your head up looking to step away um even back then he was a tough guy he was physical um he'd be able to get his hands free and he was just uh really almost a mentality and how he played he just played the game the right way he was fearless and you said um blaze and blaze ridden ended your career uh what was he like as a high school player he actually, so in that game, he scored a goal in that game as well. He was a sophomore. I was a senior. Uh, it was classic Pittsburgh-Fairport rivalry game for Section 5 championship. And uh, that team was loaded. Fairport had a bunch of guys that went on to have pretty great careers. And uh, I think they had like nine or ten Division One players on there or commits on that team. And uh, Blaze was unreal. Uh, I got the privilege to play with him. He'd always play up a couple years in, in the club scene. And uh, Sudan and all those guys, Sudo would uh, – you know, get him lined up to play on our teams as well. And he just was a lacrosse rat and he's been a monster. And I even worked at camp with him when he was still at Albany in one of the summers and he shot like 108 miles an hour. He's just a monster. He is such a monster. I remember seeing him when he was still playing at, at Albany, he was the goalie. He's probably a freshman sophomore at Albany. And he was also playing in the um, Founders Cup up in Calgary. My son was playing in the Founders Cup, which is the junior B national championship. And he was playing for the Aquasasne team. And um, 
I was like, man, that kid is, I mean, I know who he is as a goalie, but he's got great hands. He was playing man up, I think too, right? At Albany. I can't I remember. He, uh, well, I can't I think, remember. I think I know Queener did, did it before. Did, yeah. yeah. He should have. I mean, I mean, the guys, uh, I mean, how many people are the best goalie in the world? And, you know, starting forward in the NLL. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's pretty unheard of. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your influences um, and the coaches and mentors you had as when you became a coach. Um, so what, what are some of the things you've taken from your stops along the way? Maybe you give us one, one, one from each stop that, that, that has made a difference that you're still sort of leaning on today. You know, I, I think it's funny, Jamie, we actually sat next to each other when I got the Arcadia job at the convention. And I remember just small conversation in a chair and you're like, man, you don't know anything yet until you sat in that chair and you're going to be drinking, you know, water from a fire hose and, and you were spot on. You learn so much and adapt and you can have all the training in the world as an assistant, but until you finally get into that head coaching chair and go from suggestion maker to decision maker, mm. it just changes overnight. So I was lucky. Um, I had kind of an unorthodox upbringing, which is kind of just my life story. You know, I'm much more of a blue collar kind of guy. And I think the D3 route gives you a kind of perspective. You, uh, you do laundry, you paint fields, you do every little operational thing there is in a program. And, and you're, you know, you realize how privileged you have it when you have people start to be able to do that stuff for you. So um, when I got injured, I had always worked camps with like the Nighthawks and the Rattlers and, you know, Whip would have me work all the Pittsburgh camps for all the kids and stuff. And I just knew I loved coaching. Um, and I always wanted to be a teacher and maybe high school teacher and coach. And uh, when I got injured, Benny Weinberg, who was a, a D3 player of the year and goalie of the year in the 90s with Nazareth, um, he's like, hey, man, like if you want to help out and graduate early, you know, I'd love to have you come on our staff. And so as a 22 year old, you know, I was being able to, to coach an offense in a division three within a conference with Cortland. And you know, we played RIT. We played a bunch of teams that were, were really legit. I was really fortunate to, to have that opportunity at such a young age. And you know, I'm, I made a lot of mistakes and learned along the way, but I was very fortunate that he allowed that to happen. And um, after a year, I was fortunate to go to Frostburg State. And Tommy had done a great job. They were a fifth year program that he started. And that was the first year we were in the top 20 nationally. And uh, we started the year 14 and 0. It was a lot of fun to be around a winning culture and a team that did things the right way, was well organized. I think I learned a lot of just overall organizational structure from Tommy. And then I went to Queens. You know, I know you had Taylor Ray on earlier and some of the other guys. Coach Fritz's coaching tree is huge. And uh, going down there it was funny from going from, you know, maybe two younger less experienced head coaches to a guy who'd been in the game for almost 30 years and 200 wins. And um, I just always enjoyed, you know, kind of like this, right. We're sitting here talking stories about lacrosse, how many people he knew. And uh, we'd go out to lunch every now and then. And he was just a really good overseer of, of everything and, and understanding how to you know, take care of his assistants. He gave us a lot of responsibility, which, which I was very fortunate for again, to continue to fail and learn at the same time. And, and then I worked at VMI, you know, John came into, uh, Burgers came into a tough situation where he had a, you know, VMI had struggled and was here and, and again, gave me a lot of responsibility working with the offensive guys. And I was blown away when I came here just by the maturity of the young men, but ultimately I wanted to be a head coach and, uh, you know, interviewed, got an opportunity up at a school in, in Philly and 
I was really fortunate that uh, the athletic director there hired me and gave me that first opportunity. That's awesome. So now you're the head coach, you're drinking from that fire hose and um, you got to do, you really do have to do it all. Um, you got to prepare your team. You got to recruit, you got to raise money. You have to, you know, create a brand. You got to create a culture, manage your coaches um, on and on the administrative piece, the compliance piece. Um, but let's start off with culture. Um, what are you trying to build? How would you sort of characterize the culture in the way you're trying to build it at VMI? You know, I think that step one is always, and you hit the nail on the head, Jamie, it's build a foundation, build that environment that's right for personal growth. Um, I know some coaches aren't, you know, all in on, on you know, having sayings and this and that. For, for us at VMI, we are a culture team. We have a name for our culture. We have core values. Every single one of our players can tell you what that is, what that looks like. And ultimately, that's what's going to allow us to take that next step as a program. So, you know, I'm a big believer, again, that leaders, they build culture. Culture drives your behavior and your behavior achieves results. If you don't have a good culture, your habits aren't going to be very good. You're not going to get the results that you want. And I think that our Arcadia guys did a great job of learning that equation. And then it really is an equation for life. So when you start learning how to handle adversity and time management and show waking up early and, and getting after being part of a team, all those skills directly link themselves to not just lacrosse, but life, right? So, you know, we're fortunate this year, we just had the highest GPA in the VMI's recorded history. That's because the guys are putting in more work. They're caring about each other. They're showing up in a high quality way. They're doing the right things. And a lot of that comes from that foundation that we've started to build. And, you know, step two for us is, is acquire and develop talent, right? Yeah. T talk to us a little more depth, if you would, about the values that you, you guys hold uh, nearest and dearest. Yeah. So for us, are we have what's called our aces culture um, and show up with positive attitude, compete at everything that you do, whether it's the classroom, whether it's, you know, you're doing your military training here and you're conditioning against people that are not lacrosse players, you're competing at what you do. Um, if you go home and, and you play chess against your little brother, who's five years old, you better beat him, right? We want that guy. I want that relentless drive to win. Um, the effort piece is we want the hardest workers. You want guys who are willing to do, every ounce of energy that they have to be the best that they can be that starts with a foundation of work ethic. And I think competition and effort is really what's, you know, that's the kind of American values. And we're at a place that has military background. That's the foundation for the American dream is working hard and competing. And the last piece, the S is, is sacrifice. And that's choosing discipline over default. We, uh, we get tempted a lot as humans and especially in the 18 to 22 year old age, we got to make the right decisions over the easy ones. And, and sometimes those are generally the tougher decisions, but staying in and studying and making sure you get an A on your paper instead of going out or playing Call of Duty till two in the morning and getting a B, you do the work to get the A. Um, and you, you make the right decision to, to eat well or go to bed on time and because you're doing that for yourself and for your teammates because you care about them. So um, something that we preach all the time, our guys, uh, I've talked about it. And honestly, the school has kind of taken a hold of it a little bit as well. It's so interesting to, to sort of look at sacrifice and hard work. I think a lot of times people are willing to work their tails off, but then they burn the candle at both ends. And, and, and maybe we need to, we need to uh, put sacrifice in, in the hard work bucket. 
because it is hard work to sacrifice, to get sleep, you know, to get championship sleep, you know, to do the things that you just don't really feel like doing. Um, sometimes, you know, um, we see these incredibly hard workers, but they, they're almost spinning their wheels because they're not, they're not actually sacrificing and, and being, it's almost like redefining hard work. And that's what I've talked a lot about. Feed the cats, Tony Holler. We talked about that on our last call, but it's some interesting stuff to think about. Yeah, no, no doubt. I think you got to have like, you know, clarity, like a clarity of purpose in your message of what are you doing to, when you train and how hard you train? And is it, you know, sometimes working smarter and not necessarily harder if you just yeah. spinning your what are you really getting out of it? For sure. Um, let's talk a little bit about VMI. Um, you know, one of the exciting things for me when we spoke a couple of weeks ago was just my ability to learn about your program and your, more importantly, your school. More importantly, because these kids are all coming there for the school and um, it's a military institution, but how is it different? Um, please, if you could tell us, um, tell us about VMI, tell us about the school and, and, and what's awesome about it. Yeah, for sure. Um, BMI, we are a state-supported military, uh, you know, college and university. So um, unlike the federal service academies that are federally funded, we are a state school at the end of the day that has mandatory ROTC. So all the young men in our program have to do ROTC. Um, they have an ROTC component for two years during their cadetship here, and they have the option to commission or not, which is different than a service academy, obviously. Um, about 60% of the school in the, in the young men and women because uh, we are a co-ed school that, that come to VMI will commission. And unlike service academies, you can commission into any of the branches from VMI. We're not you know, specifically neutral to Army, say, or, or Navy. Um, you can do any of them when you come to VMI. So for me, you know, a big draw to VMI is that you know, we're, we graduate with one of the best nationally ranked degrees. We've been ranked by certain outlets as the number one employment school in the country. Our average salary of alumni is in the top 1% of all colleges and universities across the country. We have an elite business program, an elite engineering program. And again, it, it takes a special kind of person that comes to VMI. Like we wanna prepare each player with the tools for life. We want them to have a great experience. Ours is tougher, it's different. I think deep down VMI and, and some of the military schools kind of embrace that it is a challenge and that they wanna be one of the harder places to go. But you know that it takes a mature young man to come to VMI to understand that hey, we're here to develop you to be the best 30, 40, 50-year-old Timmy or Jimmy, not the necessarily best 18-year-old. You're not going to go out three days a week. You're not going to knock the class. You're going to do the things. The BMI is going to, it's a leadership laboratory. It's going to build you into the best version. And ultimately, our last goal is we want to win. We want to win at everything that we do. And that comes from our core values and, and putting that work in. Um, can you elaborate a little bit more on, um, on your options? Um, you, you said you can commission into the army or the Navy or the air force. Can you, can you elaborate on all the options that you have as a student athlete coming out of VMI? Absolutely. So you can take the commission route and, and, uh, certainly earn ROTC scholarship. We, you can go army, Navy, air force, um, you know, Marines. We got, we had three starters in our top 10 last year that were commissioning Marines, uh, coast guard, space force. And then outside of the branches, you can actually commission into other government sectors too, like, you know, public health, so on and so forth. So um, you can do any of the military branches from BMI. And then if you don't go that route, you know, again, at 22 years old, you're going to have a job most likely by Christmas of your senior year um, in, in any kind of path. We had guys go play in the MLL uh, back in professional lacrosse league. We've got Hollywood actors. We've had Supreme Court justices, uh, generals, admirals, CEOs of, of 
business companies. Again, you can really do anything with a BMI degree. Very cool. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Um, all right, let's um, let's turn the page and, and talk a little across. Um, can you talk to me and us about your philosophy on player development? Well, definitely an important one, right? Um, I, I think for us, development is kind of everything. We talked about building that culture and step two is developing what you have, acquiring and developing it. And, um, you know, if you're big, you're fast, you're smart, you're skilled, you're probably going to ACC or Big Ten route. Um, or a higher end program, maybe the Ivies. And, and I think for us smaller schools, we've got to be, if we're not getting those guys, we got to find somebody with two or three of those things. And we got to be, we want to pride ourselves on trying to be the best staff at developing those one or two things that they don't have. So um, I'm a big believer, Jamie. And I read a book a couple of years back called The Talent Code. I'm not sure you're familiar with that. Yeah. Um, one of the better reads I, I've read in my day. And um, you just kind of look at, I think repetitions, kind of putting your whistle away. I do think you need to have a foundation of teaching. Um, you know, we're a big believer in if a kid doesn't understand something, it's really on us as coaches. Our job is to coach the culture and make, if they're not working hard and we talk about the ACEs stuff, the great thing about that is that we as individuals, we control that. We show up, we choose, we make those determinations of if we're doing that or not. Whereas, you know, again, lacrosse standpoint, it's our job to teach them. We're teachers at the end of the day teach them how we want them to pick up a ground ball, hold a stick, shoot the ball. And then once we give them that foundation, we really ramp up the amount of reps that we're getting and put that whistle away and make sure that guys are, you know, touching, hopefully shooting the ball two, 300 times a day. And, um, you know, we want to show them film. We want to make sure that they see what it should look like. And then ultimately that they're doing it. How do you develop IQ uh, as opposed to skill or is it sort of all together? I think you, when you make mistakes, you learn, right? So sometimes again, you know, as a coach, you want to, I think younger me would want to blow the whistle a lot more and stop. And, um, but you got to learn through, you know, mistakes and you're going to make certain mistakes might make you better. Hey, you know, they slid from here. This is where the ball's going to go. But the only way to do that is to rep it out a few, you know, 50 times or a hundred times. And um, I think for our guys who want them to be creative, you know, we talked about our first phone call, you know, speed ball or three by and playing small sided games, I think guys have fun doing that. They touch the ball a hundred times. They're working on deception, craft, finishing ability. Um, and again, that's kind of hidden talent builder, but things like that are a lot better than, you know, having one ball and just scrimmaging all day. I think developing IQ, um, certainly I think film is a, a great builder of that. I think we take a lot of pride in trying to do as much film as we can so that they can see themselves and their decision-making um, but I think repetition is really important as well to get the live reps. I've been thinking a lot about this concept and I might've mentioned it to you. I probably did on our call, but I've been thinking about this as in my opinion, the most important fundamental, your ability to read and influence a play. Reading is an influencing our simultaneous, you know, you're seeing what's happening and you're influencing through deception, the way you can influence an opponent or you're influencing teammates through communication. So my first question is, um, any, can you give me your thoughts on how you try to do that in your own way? Uh, in terms of like reading and reacting, you know, one of the ways I like to teach and it sounds cliche is rock, paper, scissors, right? Um, I think at the end of the day, there's, there's only so much that you can maybe do defensively um, and, and from an offensive standpoint, all right, if they're sliding this way, then this is, you know, they're showing you rock before you see it. 
this is the answer to that. And then kind of putting them in situations where maybe, hey, we're going to slide coma here for the next, you know, five minutes so that our guys learn what that answer is. And we're going to throw the ball back through X and attack the opposite side or, you know, the next five minutes we're doing crease slides. All right. Our looks are going to be different now. They're showing a different thing. We need to be able to counter that. So um, we like to say rock, paper, scissors a lot when we teach. Um, again, anything I think you can simplify and, and tell an 18 to 22 year old, they kind of grasp and then you show them and um, ultimately they, they add new things to their game as they go. Love it. Um, okay. Let's talk a little bit about um, the development of you as the coach um, and your staff. How do you think about trying to um, sharpen your own saw? You know, I'm glad you asked that question. I think you, you talked about mentors in the game. I, I would say that honestly, you know, I had some great head coaches that I had privilege of, of being on their staffs, but I've learned a ton and I've always been a, a self-proclaimed lacrosse grad. And, and uh, you know, I was here at VMI the first time I used to go up and visit your former teammate and uh, one of your best friends and, and Lars Tiffany. And, you know, he was gracious enough to have us up there and I got to meet Sean Kerwin and, and hang out with him and Rocco back when he was there a bunch. And I'm just always was trying to learn, you know, watch them practice. Why do you guys teach this? How do you teach that? And um, I really tried to instill that into my assistant coaches. Uh, we've got a great staff here. We got two, two guys, Mikey Herring, who obviously won a national championship at Virginia working with our offense and, and Kevin Doherty, uh, who played at Wagner working with our defense and was with me at Arcadia as well. And, you know, we're a younger staff and, and those guys are always trying to get better. And, and whether you're reaching out to a, a guy that you really respect and that you, maybe you watch a team and they do something you really like and Hey, like, how did you teach this? Or I noticed that you guys do this in your ride or, you know, what, what's the, and, and so many people in this sport have been amazing. So, you know, I know um, I've got a lot of people it'd be remiss for me to, forget somebody, but, uh, you know, I've watched a lot of practices. I've been close with the Marist staff for a while. Those guys have been outstanding. Keegan Wilkinson for probably four or five years. We've met at some point each year. And, you know, when I was at Arcadia, I went to a pen practice and um, just always kind of trying to learn, evolve, watch film and, and develop ourselves. And then I think as a head coach, and, and I certainly uh, push this on my assistants and something I got from Coach Fritz when I worked for him was constantly reading. Um, I, I like, I want to said this in high school or college. I like to read now. I love it. You know, if it's a good book on leadership or culture building, or even studying other leaders in, in other sports, you know, what is something we do with our team, right? Like what does Alabama football do? What does Clemson football do? Teams that have had a lot of success and how can we kind of bring certain components? Even if you bring Jamie one thing back that fits your program, you've right. made that. And that's what I tell our assistants all the time. If you, even if you heard the offense, Mike, you, you talk to this guy and you know, we, we sit down and we learn, like, even if we liked one word of how they describe maybe how they play a two man game, if that resonates with one of our young men in our program, we just made our program better. Yeah. So cool. What are, uh, what are some of your favorite books you've read recently? Uh, uh, finishing up. I got on my desk right here. I got one chapter left. Uh, Seth Davis getting to us. It kind of highlights like eight or nine basketball and football coaches who are kind of at the pinnacle of their careers and how they get to peak, which stands for persistence, empathy, authenticity, and knowledge. Um, and just getting, you know, a team with a bunch of superstars at, at one common vision. Uh, the Talent Code was a great book. I really enjoyed that from a teaching standpoint. Above the Line, that's uh, Urban Meyer's book. Um, I thought that had a lot of really good insight into it. And Jeff Jansen, I've read some of his stuff. 
Um, I, I think he, he's got some uh, champion, building championship culture. That was a good book. So definitely those are probably be some of the ones at the top of my list. What are some of the, what are your favorite podcasts, lacrosse or non-lacrosse? Oh, certainly, uh, you know, I've told you this before. I think listening to yours is, is nice. All of us coaches are all over the place. And, you know, it's, you're not always talking lacrosse, but you can listen to it. And again, even if you get one or two things from each podcast, you're making yourself better and, and you got to have that hunger and you got to push your ego aside. To, to always, you can always learn from somebody. And I think like even John Wooden's of the world, but would, you know, I was one of their greatest assets was that they were still learning. They were never too good to, to get better. And, I think that's a good podcast. I'm a big fan of Focus Three podcast with Tim Kite. Um, he does a good one. He is the guy that works with Ohio State football. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones. There's a couple other ones. Sometimes I'll just search a name to be honest with you. Um, Ed Milet does a good job. He he's interviewed some people I thought that were pretty interesting. He did one with uh, Dabo Sweetie and, and John Gordon and some others. And I know you've had John on your podcast as well, lacrosse guy. So. Um, again, those are, those are some good podcasts for sure to check out. How about film? How much, how much time do you spend watching film and how much have you learned from film? A lot. <laughs> I'm a lot. You know, I, I wasn't, again, I, I kind of, I don't want to say, I, I'm a self-proclaimed, I guess, blue collar guy. I didn't play at a big time school. Um, I had to kind of be the, the pigeon in the, in the room to just grind and grind and grind and grind and learn. Um, and so a lot of that's through film and, and studying it. And again, I, I love having a, a hungry staff. Granted, we are a little bit on the younger side. We're, we're always watching film or talking about things or, you know, especially with the PLL this summer, Hey, are we, you know, notice this, notice that. And um, we learn a lot, you know, I, and again, I think that you start to learn what fits you and what your program. I don't think, you know, we can't necessarily be a copycat on everything because VMI is a very different school than a lot of other places. And we're not going to get the same kind of person. But again, if you take one or two things that fits and it works, then you just made your team better. So um, definitely a big, big fan of film. Yeah. So interesting. And when you kind of look at all these different ways of learning. Um, so let's recount, you know, you talk to a ton of people about lacrosse, visit their visit staffs, talk on the phone, zooms, whatever you read, you listen to podcasts, you watch a lot of film. Um, and then of course, you know, the, the actual laboratory itself, which is when you get to coach. Um, yeah. You know, and of course, then you go back to the film and check that out and all that stuff. Um, I kind of feel like there's just this amazing opportunity to learn, which keeps it fun. Um, but my question is, how do you feel about applying what you've learned? Because I think sometimes it's amazing to learn stuff, but then it, 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 a coach can be a little hesitant or, or, or you know, a little afraid to try stuff. Right. And, uh, because the stakes are pretty high. So how do you sort of combat that? That's a great question. I think, you know, certainly to an extent you're able to, you definitely talk through it with your staff a bunch. If there's something that you really think, and that's what I encourage my guys to do. And you know, I don't ever want them to be yes men necessarily. I want them to present good ideas. And if it makes sense, yeah, let's try it out. And if not, then, you know, you might disagree, but we're going to be aligned. And when that office door shuts, we're going to move on our way again. You know, assistant's job is to assist the head coach and, and great, give great feedback and suggestions. And at the end of the day, the head coach is the decision maker. So um, you have to, I think that, again, you got to figure out, does it fit our personality? You can maybe try something in practice, maybe early. Um, and if, if it works, that's great. And if not, Hey guys, flashbang, we forgot about that never existed. So you've got to move on to the next chapter. Yeah. 
sometimes when you dry stuff, it's, it's not going to make anybody worse. So, you know, you can just kind of yeah. see how it goes. Um, huge win last year to open the year up against Lafayette. First uh, win over at Patriot League School in a while. And you guys have your work cut out for you in uh, the SoCon Conference, which continues to get better and better, as you guys do. How are you going to compete um, and build? And specifically, what, what are your plans as far as how you're going to try to how you're going to play? Um, we talked about player development, so important, but then, you know, creating an identity for how you're going to play offensively and how you're going to play defensively, sort of big picture. Um, how would you sort of describe that to, to kids that are thinking about coming and, and uh, just, you know, just to try to create your brand of VMI lacrosse? Yeah, uh, again, a great question. I, you watch college football, Army, Navy, Air Force, they're on the triple option. Um, they're, again, they're getting a different kind of football player, athlete, than you know, some of the big power five conferences and, and they have to be adaptable. It's the same thing. I think for us, we, we want to be, we want to instill that, that toughness. We want to instill our core values of being a military school. We want to be a blue collar program. That is the hardest working team because we can control that. We can't control if we're going to be the most athletic or the most skilled, but what we can control is really going to matter. So we want to be one of the toughest teams. And, you know, what do you think about if you think of toughness, and tough to play against. I think of ground balls, pretty important in the sport of lacrosse. Think about riding. We want to be a relentless riding team. Um, and I think for us, again, if you if you do a couple of things that are maybe a little bit more unorthodox or unique, maybe it's a little bit harder to prepare for. You know, we 10 man rode a lot last year. I thought that was something that we weren't winning a lot of faceoffs. We had to find a way to create possessions and um, in comes the 10 man ride. So uh, we want to be a tough team to play against offensively. You want to, at the end of the day, and it's funny when I, when I met coach Heron for the first time and was interviewing him, I was like, you know, what do we want to do? And he's like, I like to score goals. And I was like, all right, we're going to get along great. So <laughs> um, you, you might have to arrive at the, the score goal. You might have to come a different direction than, than maybe you do at some other places. But again, we're going to be creative. And I, and I think that it's the same thing on defense. We're going to try to maximize our personnel for who we have and put our, put the best plan forward to hopefully win us, you know, a game and uh, have a fighting chance to win. And as we get 1% better each day, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head earlier for us. Development is the most important thing right now. Um, Cause you can run any schematics. You can be the, the smartest person in the world. If you can't teach and develop it. Don't matter what you run. You're not going to be very good at it. You can have the most intricate clear and it can clear hundred percent of the time, but you're not going to clear the ball hundred percent or 80% if you can't pass and catch. So um, again, I think so much of it goes back to development. And then as your players get better, you can really start to explain, uh, expand the menus and, and playbook of, of what you ultimately want to run. What's your, are you guys more of a motion team or more of a play team? It's funny. You know, I know we talked about this a little bit on, on that first phone call. I think part of the reason why you always want to learn is, is the game is constantly evolving. You know, one of the guys, I, I didn't even say this earlier, that I met with uh, on a Zoom call, I think Zoom has modernized a lot of things with COVID and, and being proactive, was Chris Bates. You know, yeah. hey, coach, you know, I know you've been in the sport for a long time, but love to just pick your brain on the ocean offense. And you know, he's been doing it for over a decade now. He's kind of the, the originator of, you know, a lot of the pair stuff in the field game. Um, I'm a big believer in, in our VMI offense of we never want to be so structured that it's easy to predict. I think we want guys to be able to read, react. We do give them some guidelines uh, to play within, and then we kind of let them play. So um, we don't just say roll the ball out and here we go. We, we kind of give them a couple options. And uh, from there, 
they have to be decision makers. I think for us offensively, we always want to have an opportunity to dodge from up top. We want to be able to dodge from the wing and want to be able to dodge from below the cage. And I think game planning wise and what the other team is doing, the rock, paper, scissors of it, that's going to determine what we look to, to come out in more. And, you know, one game, we might be a little bit more of an invert big little team and another game it might be more of a speed dodging team. It really just depends on how you, how your opponent's kind of defending it, what they maybe struggle with or are uncomfortable with. And then we might throw a wrinkle or two here and there um, just to keep them honest. So um, I know last year we, we like, we're a big fan of the two man game. I think so much of defense now, and you've kind of talked about this before on, on some of your other podcasts, if you have to commit three defenders to two offensive guys, you have a good situation on the backside. And I think if you watch the PLL right now, what team doesn't run a two-man to offense to start? You see very rarely, you know, a team just speed dodge, you know, kind of the old school umbrella or motion and trying to get a 5v4 on the backside. Because if you think about it, you got a guy defending the ball and an on guy ready, a hot guy ready to slide. That's two guys playing one. Well, now you add that second guy and you make it three guys defending two, similar to clearing one less guy makes a big difference for spacing. So a uh, big fan of two man games. Um, and yeah, you know, again, offenses we want to exploit what the defense isn't great at. And we want to maximize what we have talent wise, because we're, again, we're not going to be the most athletic team in, in most of the games that we play. How about off ball two man games? Yeah. What, what would your, what, what, how do you, how do you uh, think about that? You know, cause I'm a, you go ahead. I was gonna say, I'm a big fan of drifts. Um, I think that drifting is so hard to defend against. I think defensively guys are, are so instilled to like hedge or show. And, you know, again, you, you come adjacent, sweep or attack the middle of the field. It's the easiest pass for an offensive guy to make is to his face for a step down or you get the defense rotating. Right. Um, so we're not big on clear throughs. I think off ball two man games kind of getting somebody to kind of replace and, and find space and, and somebody to drift is a really nice kind of backside motion and um, puts a lot of pressure on a defense. Got it. Interesting. Uh, defensively, what's your philosophy? Um, how do you guys play? How would you characterize it? Who would you say are some of the influences you've had on how you decided to coach defense? Again, this has been a, you know, I think you've seen a lot of different defenses in the last couple of years. I think for us defensively, kind of countering the offense uh, philosophy, we want to be a team that hopefully doesn't commit three guys to two. Um, we want to be pretty simplistic. I think defensively, it's a little bit different than offense. You're going to have your general guidelines and, and rules and you want to be able to play simple better. I think when you can keep things simple um, and, and I think, again, you've kind of hit the nail on the head a bunch. Team defense is critical. You know, if you're the number one defenseman and you want to take the team's best attackman, well, that shouldn't matter because at some point you're going to be guarding them during the game. At some point you're not. Because yeah. if you're playing team defense, the five guys behind the ball is going to be a lot more important than the guy playing on the ball. So I think the stats like 83.6% of the time you're off the ball, you better be really, really good at, at making and sliding and recovering and being communicating and understanding how you're going to defend a two-man game. Um, one thing that you know, I've kind of liked and, and Denver's done it um, and some of the other teams is and I know UNC did a little bit this year, Delaware. You see a lot of teams not necessarily play two guys behind the cage as much anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that makes a lot of sense. Something that we did here at BMI last year. And um, I know Maris has run it for a long time. And um, again, you're just kind of getting a guy in position and you can't score from behind the cage. And I think it's harder to get drifted on. And you can still apply ball pressure if you do your job. Yeah, not going behind the net. 
um, particularly in those two main games or even on inverts sometimes, right? I mean, inverts. Yeah. I know Delaware didn't go behind at all this year in any invert. Yeah, it is interesting. And I think it's, you know, obviously there's pluses and minuses to everything that you do, but I would say sure. that this is kind of early enough in the, um, in the uh, evolution of this, not play the ball behind very much that it kind of takes people out of some of the things that they really like to do. If they've got some great, you know, sort of big little offense that they like. Um, and it also creates a lot of hangups, which I think are a little maybe overrated um, when you've got, you know, a guy behind the net with nobody on them and somebody in front guarding because they, they don't have a great feeding angle. I mean, it's, you're, you're going to be taking the shot generally with your stick to the outside. Maybe it'll be a layup, but usually it's not. Yeah. And, and again, there's a million ways to do things and, and your personnel really determines it. We don't have the most athletic defensive guys. And, you know, Jerry Byrne, arguably one of the greatest defensive coaches in the game, obviously hates hangups and prevents himself from getting hang up. And then yeah. with, uh, you know, Kevin Corrigan this summer, we were sitting next to each other in a chair and, um, you know, his assistant Ryder and, and my assistant Mikey are our best friends. So they're always communicating and hanging out. And so our staffs have kind of gotten closer and, He's telling me you know, what what makes a good attackman a great one. Time, <laughs> no no ball pressure. So, I mean, and I do think honestly, like even if you don't put the if you don't play the ball necessarily in a two man game, you only put one guy behind the cage. Even if that guy drives up to X, that guy above the cage is still going to get ball side. Like if he plays his angles right, he's still going to prevent himself from getting hung up more times than not. But I would love to see the stats. You know, how often does a team score in hangman offense? Yeah, I agree. I kind of feel like hanging, learning how to hang your guy up as an attackman is really, really important. But I kind of look at it more along the lines of, of putting yourself in a position where they have to take a really difficult approach as opposed to just getting them stuck in front when you're behind. Take sure. them and, I, help, you know? and I think the shot clock plays a big factor too, right? If you're under 15 seconds, you're probably not going to be so concerned about a hangman. 60 seconds in, maybe a little bit more so. Yeah, totally. All right, let's finish off a little bit with about recruiting. And, and if you would, please tell us what you're looking for um, in an athlete that you're trying to recruit as far as these uh, categories, character, athleticism, or sorry, character, academics, athleticism, and then skill slash IQ. So for, for there's kind of four things that we look for, but I'm going to start with the academic piece because I think that's critical. And I think so many young guys in the game and I was this way, so I can't you know, cast any, uh, any stones or anything like that. Your academics matter a tremendous amount. Um, and if you want to go to a certain school, you better have the grades and, and test scores to back that up depending on the institution. Because, you know, if, you're, if you got a 900 on your SATs, you could be the best player in the world. You're not going to Ivy League. Um, they're not going to be able to, to jump through so many hoops to, to make that happen. So, um, and the other thing is a lot of schools package really well, depending on how your grades are. So you're going to get more money academically than you are most likely for lacrosse. So keeping your grades up or retaking your test scores is only going to help your you know, long-term benefit of how much you know, financial aid or package that you're in your family is going to receive. So academics is critical from more of the lacrosse standpoint for what we look for at VMI is, now I've kind of always been a big player with this in our development is there's four things we look for and they're in terms of priority. The most important thing, and you hit the nail on the head again, is character. <laughs> there's a lot of lacrosse players now. And if you're not a person that 
you know, think about as lacrosse coaches and, you know, from your time, I probably spend more time with our guys than my wife during the season. So do I want to be around you every single day for four years? Are you a person that's going to live the core values of our program and wants to be in a place that's going to push you? Or for us, we got to be a little bit more strategic and, and is BMI a place that you're going to be able to survive and thrive at? Um, or are you going to not be a good fit? And now we just wasted a, a slot or something on somebody that's not going to make it through. So finding the right people, guys who you know hate losing more than they like winning, guys who are captains, who are leaders. Those are the kind of guys we want to have here at BMI. That's the first and foremost thing. Second thing is we like high IQ guys. Um, I think understanding the game, again, we, we're going to develop that when they get here. That's important. From a skill standpoint, certainly you need to be skilled enough. Um, and I think every position is a little bit different. That's the stuff that you work on every day from a practice standpoint. And the last point is speed. And I think we think of speed as kind of that physical, how fast you are. And that's certainly nice. I love guys that can initiate and run by a short stick or, you know, obviously you got to be able to do that on the offensive end. But I think a lot of times you got to be able to think the game fast. Like how many guys, we got 50 guys on our roster. Only one of them is the fastest player on the team. So are you able to think fast? If you can think fast, you can play fast. And for us offensively, we want guys to be able to play fast, be able to anticipate, be able to, you know, anticipation makes you more athletic. That's one of our sayings, whether it's defensive, whether it's offensive, being able to anticipate a play is going to make you more athletic because you're going to be able to quicker to process it. So if you're an attackman and you're catching the ball off of a slide, do you know already when you catch it what you're going to do with it? Being able to play that second faster is a huge benefit and huge difference, you know, playing at the highest level in Division One lacrosse or in the pros for sure. What do you need academically to get into VMI? Our average test score is around a 1250 uh, SAT score and GPA is around like a 3.7 or 3.8. So um, now certainly I, I think you, you can continue to work on those, on those grades and, and some schools are going to have a little bit of wiggle room to, to maybe get somebody in a little bit lower than that. And, um, again, you might be able to use lacrosse as a platform to, to better your life academically or, or go to a better academic institution. But at the end of the day, you're only going to get so much wiggle room. So uh, you definitely want to make sure that, you know, regardless of what institution you end up at, if you want to, if you're passionate about playing college lacrosse, grades is only going to help you for sure. Awesome. And uh, what's your email so people can reach out to you if they want more information about prospect days or about your program or Anything that they're interested in VMI lacrosse? Absolutely. So um, from my, my VMI email is my last name, Purpura, P-U-R-P-U-R-A-J-R at VMI.edu. I'm happy to always answer questions or um, if you guys want to reach out for sure. Um, we have a website, CoachPurpura.com. And then the last thing is uh, you can find on social media handles, Twitter and Instagram at Coach underscore Purpura. Love it. James, thanks so much for coming on, man. I love talking lacrosse with you and uh, best of luck as you kick off the 21-22 season. Awesome, Jamie. Thanks for having me and uh, looking forward to catching up again soon. Awesome, man. Be good. Take care. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye.